Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. The scripture reading this morning is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. My name is Pastor Jeffrey, and it, and it is an honor to be delivering God's word to you all. But before I dive into God's word, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace, and we come not as perfect people, but as sinners who need your mercy and your grace. So I pray for the Holy Spirit to come down and fill me so that I may speak the words of truth. And fill the people who are listening here and at home, fill them with open hearts and open ears so that they may receive your truths and your glorious words. So that together we may be formed in the image of Christ. And so that we can praise you and love one another. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want to ask the question to us all, does God care about fashion? 
That seems like an interesting question. Um, you might be inclined to say no, as I once was, but as you read scriptures, you begin to notice that da, God does seem to have an affinity for fashion. Uh, I came to this realization when I had to preach through Exodus, and I came upon Exodus 28, in which God went into great detail of how to make the priestly garments and how the priests were supposed to dress. He talked about the materials used, how it was supposed to be sewn, what accessories were supposed to be included. And God would talk about all these things. And then you have in the Pentateuch, the laws, God cared about what people wore at certain times of the year. And then you read the Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomons, and the most beautiful imagery comes from clothing. And then you move into the New Testament and the great passage of where people have fear and anxiety. What does he use? He uses the analogy of lilies. And he says, look at the lilies of the field and look how I've clothed them so I will clothe you. Do not be anxious. Interesting. God must care about how we dress, at least spiritually. Should Christians care about how we dress? Now, we're all growing up in Presbyterian circles, and if you haven't, well, good for you. Um, you're taught to dress modestly, all right? There's church clothes that you wear. And, so, and then people, then there's this revolt in the 90s, God doesn't care about what you wear, and we go back and forth what you should wear. But it's a question that we should ask. Should Christians care about what we should wear? And the way I answer people is, well, let's take John Owen's lead. Now, who is John Owen's? He is a great Puritan theologian. Now, who's a Puritan? It's equivalent to the pilgrim, except the Puritans stayed back in England. So we're talking about pilgrims. And how did he think about fashion? Well, we know that he was a fashionista. He was a Puritan, a fashionista. Prove it. Well, here's a quote from a contemporary. He said, you must know that Owen, he's talking about John Owens, being a vain person, wear for the most part sweet powder in his hair, sets of points at his knees. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> Boots and lawn hose tops as the fashion then was for young men. And there was oftentimes a cardinal who would always mock John Owen saying, look at his hats. They are so big and grand. This is a theologian who wrote great treaties on the Holy Spirit and the Lord's Supper and wrote countless wonderful sermons. So should we as Christians care about what we wear and how we dress? Well, it seems that the Apostle Paul seems to think so. And, why, and today I hope to show you that fashion matters and why it's important to wear the right clothes. Now, for those of you following along, that statement is a little bit clickbaity, um, but I hope that you would follow along and see what the Apostle Paul is talking about of how we should dress. Diving in, this is the verses one through four. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The first thing that Paul wants to set out is, do you know that you have been raised with Christ? It's great. 
And how do you know if you've been raised with Christ? And I want to pose to you two questions that you should be able to answer. First, do you believe that Christ is your Savior? Do you believe that Christ is your Savior? If you say yes, good. Second, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God? If you say yes, great. You have been raised with Christ. And many people will say, that's it? And I want to remind people, it's not that simple as it seems. The only reason you believe in those truths is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Now, I've had the privilege of um, doing youth group, and I always tell these two things to my youth group. If you believe in those things, trust me, the Spirit lives within you. You are Christ's possession. And then they always counter back and say, I don't think so. I'm only a Christian because my parents tell me I'm a Christian. And then I always counter back and say, do you listen to your parents? In which they think and say, oh. Half of youth ministry is reconciling parents to teenagers. And here they come to realize, no, they believe because the Holy Spirit lives inside them. It is no small thing to believe in those great truths, that Christ is your Savior and that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe in those things, don't count it as something simple, but praise God that you believe in it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 and 17, as Peter confesses these two great truths, Jesus says, this has not been revealed to you by blood and flesh, but by the living God. Those are Jesus' words, Matthew 16 and 17. If you are able to confess those things, you are Christ's wonderful possession, and the Holy Spirit now resides in you. And what is the Holy Spirit doing in there? He's connecting you to Christ. And not only is he connecting you to Christ, he is driving your soul and your mind to think about the heavenly things. And so this passage is calling all Christians, if the Spirit lives within you, look to heaven. Look what is above. And then the natural question is, well, what's above? What are we looking at? And here, the scripture tells us, we are to see Christ appearing with us in glory. Do you think about the future a lot? Do you think about your time in heaven often? Probably not. And when you do think about your time in heaven, what do you imagine? What are you thinking about? You know, for me, when I started asking myself this question, I always imagined myself sitting at the throne, or not on the throne, but underneath the throne of Jesus in a white garment. And we're sitting in a field. There's no one else there. It's a strange image. And I don't know where I got it from. Because that is not the picture we see at all in Scripture. And I would guess, because of our individualistic culture, most of you think of heaven just by yourself and with Christ. But in Scripture, what we see is that we are in a party in heaven. 
When you think of heaven, you need to think of a grand party. And we read it in our opening scriptures. As Andrew called us into worship, here are the words that we speak of when we think of heaven. It says, and we, the ransom of the Lord, will enter with singing. Everlasting joy will crown our heads. Open your eyes and see now the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. It is a huge grand, festive party. And you're all invited. There's milk and honey. We know that there's food. We know that there's wine. We know that we are going to have a grand time. And there's lots and lots of karaoke. And it's great. And I think so too often we think of heaven as this boring place where I don't know what I'm going to do there. There's nothing fun. Of course, it's going to be grand because you're going to be there with the people you love. You're going to be with Christ himself. And here is what the Spirit is driving us constantly to remember. You are with Christ, and you are with the people in his church for all of eternity. You all are going to be spending an eternity with each other. And it's going to be wonderful. Most people or most Christians often forget that we are not only saved to Christ, but we are saved to one another. Let me say that again. We are not only saved to Christ, that's foundational, but we are also saved to one another. For many of us, we would not have formed the relationships we have today if it wasn't for Christ himself. We wouldn't have married the people we have married if it wasn't for Christ himself. We do something heavenly here as we gather together and become one community. The Spirit is constantly trying to remind you, you are not alone in heaven. You are with a people. Love them. Be with them. Care for them. They are yours forever. It's an amazing reality that we are not only going to spend eternity with Christ forever, but we're going to spend eternity with one another forever. Now, there's usually two common objections to this. Um, people will always hear me say that or teach of this, and they say, wait, is it the Holy Spirit just a placeholder for us so that we can make it into heaven? Isn't the Holy Spirit just to say, hey, we, we believe in Jesus, now we're in heaven, that's the whole goal of Christianity? No, Entering into heaven is just the beginning. That is not the end or the purpose of Christ coming down. That is just the beginning of your wonderful life. And so I always give example of Disneyland. What is the goal of Disneyland? To have lots of fun and eat lots of food. Now say a family took their child, went into the entrance, and the child said, yes, I made it. And the parents say, all right, let's go see Mickey. Let's go eat some good food. And the child said, no, I'm just going to stay at the entrance. This is where it's fun. But the parents are saying, no, that's not the goal of why we came into Disneyland. I, I mean, it's great, but we need to go experience the other parts of the park. Many Christians act like that child and say, I've made it. It doesn't matter what else I do. And I'm not going to move. I'm not going to do anything else. But here the Spirit is saying you've made it and that's just the beginning. 
You being saved, it's glorious, it's wonderful, but that's just the beginning. Now you get to use the Spirit to learn how to love one another. Praise be to God. Again, that's the whole goal. We see each other and we are having a good time in heaven and we are riding the rides. Now, how do you get from where we are today to that future picture of heaven where Christ returns in glory, where people are singing and fellowshipping with one another? How do we get there? And Paul begins to describe it in verses 5. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. He says, first, for you to become that reality, you have to put to death Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. But now, verse 8, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. To have that picture of heaven that the Bible describes, you need to put to death these things. Now, by choice, I'm not going to go deep into this. I think there's a lot of great resources uh, to deal with sexual immorality and purity. And I'm not skimming it because I don't think it's important just for the sake of time. I'm going to just say this one thing about this section. These sins that you see here, you need to put to death. And I've been in ministry long enough that I know that 75% of you are dealing with these things. And another 25% of you are probably not Christian. Meaning all of you are dealing with these sins right now and you need to put it to death. We need to kill it. But why do you need to put it to death? And this is where I think we kind of go, all right. Why do you put these things to death? Is it because God will hate us or disown us if we keep these things around? And the answer is no. For many of us, when we fall into sin, we feel guilty and we think God will never love us. But that is not the reason he is telling us to put to death these sins. He is, put, he is telling us that you need to put these sins to death because you are missing out on the rest of Christianity. You're missing out on what makes Christianity exciting and beautiful. And it's the relationships that you have with one another. If you have these things, you cannot pursue the heavenly relationship that the Holy Spirit wants for all of us. I want to go back to my Disneyland analogy. Finally, we convinced the kid that it is worth moving on from the entrance and riding the rides and taking pictures with Mickey Mouse. And along the way, the kid sees something wonderful. 
cotton candy. And the kid looks at it and says, Mom, Dad, I'm going to go and eat that. And Mom and Dad says, you can't. It's 10 a.m. Please don't eat that. We will get to it, but please just hold your horses. And the kid says, no, I want three of them. I want the blue one, I want the pink one, and I want the Mickey one. And the parents say, no, don't do it. And the kid goes and tries to get in. What happens? Eats all cotton candy, ruins the day. Now, the parent would say, I told you not to do those things. Now, the kid disobeyed her parents, but at any moment in this analogy, was the kid scared that the parent was going to disown them? Do you think the kid was thinking, oh, no, I don't think I'm I'm not going to be their child anymore. My parents are going to disown me. They're just going to leave me here. No. And that's the image we need to have with God. When we falter in these things, and these, these, these things are deadly, God is there saying, stop it. Not because he's saying, I knew you would mess up, but because he wants what's best for you. You're missing out on the rides, and the rides is having fellowship with the people in your church. That's the glorious truth. That's why I sent my son, so that you could experience what true, authentic relationships are and how they need to be experienced. We put these things to death because it inhibits us from loving us well. And we know that this is what Paul was talking about. Because Paul goes on to say this in verse 11. He said, here there is no Gentile or Jew, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, it's an interesting verse. Why would Paul write this when he's saying put to death these things? Because he knows in the Colossian church there's infighting. And he knows that these are the reasons that people are judging each other and not getting along. And he's saying if you don't put to death these things, your identity on earth, you will not experience the great fellowship of Christ. So my charge to you today is this. Love each other well. Put to death the pornography. Put to death the idolatry. Put to death the lust for power and all those things. Because when those things take over your heart, you cannot have a healthy, good relationship with one another. And that's true. When those things consume your thoughts, you're unable to connect with people because your mind is elsewhere. But when your mind is on Christ, your mind is on the people, then you begin to love. But then you'd say, but how do I put these things to death? What do we do? How do I get rid of these addictions? Here, Paul gives us a trajectory. He says in verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And over all these virtues, put on love. The great benefit of being a Christian is that we have superpowers. And what our superpowers are is the ability to love one another. We love better than any other institution in the world. And I stand by that. There's other institutions that get way more press. 
But I think pound for pound, the church in the whole world is the most loving institution this world has ever experienced. That is our secret weapon. And that is what you can use each and every day with one another. We get to put on the garments of love and grace, and the world gets to see us shine. Why do we talk about Jesus today? Is it because he was a great carpenter? Is it because he was a great teacher? On the scales of teacher, he's so-so. But we talk about him today because he's the son of God and he has loved better than anyone else. Christ was draped from head to toe in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Dressed in it. So I hope by now you get that I was not talking about actual physical clothes. That Christ does not care if you wear jeans or a suit or a dress or pants. He doesn't care about any of those things. But he does care how you come to church and how you live your lives. And that you need to put on these garments of grace like Christ did. And he cares that people see this clothing on you. He cares that this drives your daily life. And he cares how you interact with each other. In essence, we are always supposed to be dressed like we're going to a party. The party in heaven. Where we are fellowshipping with one another. Loving each other. And giving all praise and glory to God. So the question is, how do you put on these clothes? And it's a, do I just wake up and become more compassionate? Do I wake up and become more kind? Do I wake up and simply practice all these things? No. You don't practice. Fortunately, we have the church. If compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience and love are the clothes... The shop or the store is the church. This is where you purchase the clothes. This is where you begin to dress yourself. You cannot do these things simply by yourself because here Paul says the only way that you will be clothed in these garments of grace is if this, 16, if the message of Christ dwells among you richly. That's the key point. The message of Christ must dwell among all of you richly so that you can begin to put on these clothes. Do not think that you can simply become compassionate, and compassionate, kind, and gentle by a flip of a switch. It is only access through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has says we only have access to him through the word. And we depend on the word, and we depend on the things so that Christ himself can clothe us with these things. And how do you make sure that the word is richly dwelling among LSQ? What do you do? You know, if I was reading this passage, I would say, listen to Pastor Michael Keller and everything he says. Just listen to the pastor. But fortunately, that's not what it says. It says something interesting. It says, sing 
to one another. The way you teach and admonish each other in the gospel is by singing. Now, preaching is important. I'm not trying to say preaching is not important, but one of the fundamental things we do and why it's important to meet together as a church is because we need to sing the gospel songs to one another. Here it says you need to sing hymns and psalms. And it's no accident that the Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. This flower flowery language that we sing to one another. It's meant for the church not just to be sung to God, but sing to the Christians here at church. My seminary training, unfortunately, I didn't get one music lesson. And it's a tragedy. I'm not good at music. I wish I was. But here, even in the opening verses, we see the first thing we do as we're coming into heaven is that we're singing together. What you guys do up here and together is no small feat, but it is the miracle of the Holy Spirit himself that we are able to sing these songs and sing it to each other and make sure that it affects us. You know, I was joking about there's a huge karaoke session in heaven, but it's true. And we need to push ourselves and we need to train ourselves to be better in song. And I want to encourage you that there's something about music. For sure, we know that music is the only cultural activity of human beings that actually carries over into heaven. Did you know that? For sure, it is the only cultural activity that carries in over to heaven. There is no preaching. Praise be to God. But there is singing this wonderful act we do together, and it's a mystery why it works so well. It is. I can't explain it to you, but because something with melody and words put together affects the soul more powerful than anything else. And I found this to be powerfully true as I did end-of-life ministry. Now, I haven't encountered many end-of-life situations, but the ones I did And the ones I was able to help guide into heaven, I'll tell you, we never talked about my sermons. We never had a Bible study. Most times, the patient wouldn't be able to understand what I'm trying to say, but for whatever reason, when we would open up a hymn and sing to this person, the person would respond. We would sit there and begin singing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And tears would roll from that person's face. And as you remember, the thing I began to realize is this. We were clothing them for the party that they were about to go into. COVID has taken a lot from us. And one of the things I miss the most is coming together and singing songs together. It's powerful. Don't take it for granted. And LSQ is so fortunate to have a wonderful band and great music. Don't take it for granted. 
but come together and sing about the great Lord who has saved us to him and to one another. Does God care how you dress? Yes, he does. He wants you to put the garments of Christ as Christ has done. He wants you to look beautiful. He wants the world to see how you dress. He doesn't want you to be hidden. He doesn't want you to just look normal. He wants you to be extravagant and beautiful so that the world would see God is an amazing fashion designer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you to give you glory and honor. God, help us. Help us to see your garments of grace. And would you please clothe us? We cannot do this without you or without each other. So help us to be authentic in our relationships with one another. You have already begun to do that with the community groups, with us praying together, but help us to go deeper so that we may see and participate in the glories of Christ. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.